This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to the Word of God this morning, and today we are going to continue our series in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you've got your Bible there, then set down your cup of tea for a minute, lift the Word of God, and open it at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this morning we're going to work our way through this whole chapter. As you know, by this stage, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians is defending himself and his ministry. There are critics in Corinth, individuals who are painting a bad picture of Paul and he has had to already defend himself and we see another little glimpse of that here in 2 Corinthians 3. So we'll read it together. We are thankful for it because this is the word of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, Letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. 
And we thank God today for his precious word. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Do you think I came up the lagging in a bubble? These past two statements have entered into our everyday chat here in Northern Ireland. They're statements that we declare on behalf of ourselves to show that we are no fool. If someone is trying to sell us something that is grand and beyond our imagination, we will utter one of these statements and we will say, I will never believe it. Because after all, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. And not a single one of us ever wants to be carried away with something that is not true. As we enter into this new chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul speaks of having to prove himself. The Corinthians have this strained relationship with Paul. There is tension in the air. He's already had to write a stern letter to them. He has wanted to come and see them. He has not managed to do it. And so there are those among the Corinthians who are saying, well, look, this guy can't be trusted. He makes these big and bold, extraordinary claims, but can he back them up? And so Paul writes, as this chapter begins, by asking that question, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we have to prove ourselves once more to the Corinthian church, wonders Paul? Do we need, as some do, he says, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do we need to go and get a letter from another church that says, Paul's okay, Paul can be trusted, Paul's word is true, Paul is an apostle. Is that the situation that we find ourselves in? You see, for some in Corinth, Paul was a big man in his letters, full of big talk, full of bold claims and challenges. But in person, he seemed weak and he seemed unimpressive. Why should such a man be listened to? And so Paul asks the question, do we have to prove ourselves to you? Do you want the letter of recommendation to prove that I am a Christian? We still do that today. If you leave your church, you can get a letter from your church to say this person is in good standing. They've left in good terms. They haven't caused any turmoil. They haven't caused any disruption. As far as we are aware, they are Christians. Do I need a letter like this, says the apostle? Paul turns the argument on its head because he is prepared to give these Corinthians extraordinary proof of his extraordinary claims. And here it comes in verse 2. Because he says to the Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Paul isn't going to get a letter from another church to somehow defend his ministry. And he doesn't need to come once again to try and support his own arguments by doing magic tricks and, and putting on a great show so these people might start to believe. Paul says, your very existence in Corinth shows who I am and what I am about. My friends, the very existence of a church today, any church today, anywhere today, shows the reality of the gospel. It shows today that the Lord is reigning and the Lord is in charge and it shows the power of the gospel and the working of the Spirit. If a church exists today in Balnehinch, then thanks be to God. We see the power of the Word of God at work and the Spirit at work in our towns and villages and cities all across this land and this world and that is Paul's very argument. 
You in Corinth, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation and you are written on our hearts. Some might have argued, you see, that Paul didn't care about Corinth. He hadn't come back yet. He hadn't seemed to have kept his word. Perhaps he had already moved on and perhaps he had never thought much about them at all. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. You are written on our hearts. We love you, says Paul. You're in our hearts. We are thinking about you. I, I long to be with you. I want to Titus to come and, and share with me good news. I hope everything is well. You are our letter of recommendation. Your very existence shows the genuineness of our ministry. And you are a letter on our hearts to be known and read by all. The existence of the Corinthian church shows the reality of the gospel and the spirit at work. And the reality of the Corinthian church is that they are to be a letter of the gospel to the pagan city of Corinth that they live in and worship in and minister in. Paul loves these people and they are a letter that is to be not kept private for a select group, but to be read by all and everyone around them every single day. And Paul continues this thinking and he says in verse 3, you show this, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's extraordinary evidence, his extraordinary proof couldn't be much more extraordinary. He says you exist written not with ink, not brought into existence by obedience to the law, not brought into existence by human endeavor or exertion, but you've been brought into existence by the spirit of the living God. He has written his truth, not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. Here we see the remarkably extraordinary work of the gospel and the spirit everywhere the church of Christ exists. And all these years later, not much has changed. Some of us have taken the church for granted over these months of lockdown. Some of us have yet to go back. We're nervous perhaps or perhaps simply we have just got out of the way of it. We sit at home, we watch church on TV and, and we're much more comfortable sitting watching it in our jammies and drinking our coffee and eating our breakfast. And I suspect and, and fear that perhaps if that attitude continues and, and takes root, then we will miss out on the blessing that the gathered body is to one another. See, every church that you belong to, whether it is my church, our church, Eden Grove, or another church, this could be written about you. How did you come into existence in the city that you minister in? How does your church find its foundations and its roots? It has come about by the preaching of God's word and by the movement of the Holy Spirit. And today with the Corinthians, we could say in our fellowships scattered about this land, scattered about this world, that we were not written with ink. We were not carved on tablets of stone, but we have come into existence by word and by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's utterly extraordinary what Paul is saying. He doesn't need a letter of recommendation from a foreign body because the Corinthians themselves are Paul's letter of recommendation. Can this man called Paul be trusted? Can we accept him as an apostle? Is he someone that we should listen to? He says, look around. 
your very existence in this pagan city shows that my ministry among you has been genuine. Paul does not need to commend himself again to these men and women because if they look around and remember his ministry, then they see the evidence all around them. This person saved, that person saved, a church that exists in a pagan city called Corinth, a fellowship created by the word and by the spirit written on tablets of human hearts. My friends, your church this morning is exactly like this one. Your church this morning with all its faults and, and feelings is exactly like this one. Your church this morning is an extraordinary body here on earth, greater than any other body here on earth, because your church this morning is part of the church of Jesus Christ, part of his bride brought into existence by word and by spirit. Paul is utterly confident about all of this. He says so in verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, says Paul at the end of verse 6, but the spirit gives life. Paul is utterly confident that the work that he has just described is true. It has come from God and he takes no praise or glory for himself for this. He says, we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim any of this for us. But our sufficiency, it comes from God. Sometimes we think that the building of the church of Jesus Christ is all about us. Sometimes we look in the mirror and if we do not see growth in our fellowship, it can break our hearts as pastors. Or, or indeed sometimes as Christians sitting in a fellowship, we can look around and we can say, this place is dead, I'm going to go or somewhere where there is life. Paul says none of us are sufficient for this work of church building. None of us are sufficient to claim any of the glory for the existence of the church on this earth. It all comes from the Lord. And it is the Lord who had made Paul to be a minister of a new covenant. A minister of a covenant that was not about tablets of stone. A minister of a covenant that was not about obedience and, and trying to save oneself through works. My friends, I want you to know this morning that that would never be possible. The covenant of works, which Adam failed to keep, has been and gone and done, and it has not been able to save you. Instead, we trust in the covenant of grace, the covenant that said to the serpent, Christ will come and crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Paul is a minister of the new covenant. A minister of the covenant of the gospel, a minister of the covenant of grace, a minister of the spirit, a minister who comes and proclaims and watches as the spirit works and the church is built and the church grew. Because it is the spirit who gives life. Here in these verses, Paul makes a distinction between the law and the gospel. The law is not something that is sinful and I don't want you to believe that that is the case. In Romans 7 and verse 12, Paul again in, in Romans writes that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is from God and therefore it is not sin. 
It is good. It is righteous. It is holy. But the law commands and as frail, unable human beings full of sin, we cannot obey. We might try our best, we might cross our fingers, we might strive for the works that we think will get us the glory, but constantly we will fall flat on our face. And it is, as Paul says in Romans 7 verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. If we strive to keep the law of God for our salvation, and if we fail to keep it on just one point, then we deserve to die. So Paul here delights in the reality that he is a minister of a new covenant. A minister not of the letter but of the spirit. A minister who does not point people to the commandments and say keep this and live. But instead a minister who points to Jesus and says behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Here is Paul's confidence. The Corinthians were not born out of their law-keeping obedience. They are not a old covenant kind of church. And the Corinthians were not born out of Paul coming with razzmatazz and shebang and doing all of these amazing things. And it's all about Paul. Instead, the Corinthians are born out of a humble, God-sufficient maid servant called the Apostle Paul, who comes in much weakness to preach the gospel The Spirit works smashing the hard hearts of sinners and drawing them to Jesus. Here is the new covenant church. The new covenant of which Paul was made to be by God a minister. Today we rejoice still in this truth. Because today like many we are trembling at the news that is coming through from head office. Big Boris and Arlene and Michelle and the rest of the gang. This week, perhaps on Tuesday night, you sat and watched as Boris addressed the nation. And and we're thankful that he didn't lock us down again. But essentially his message was, wise yourselves up or darker days are coming. We tremble in these days. And in these days, we might wonder and ask ourselves, where is the Lord in these days? Well, my friends, today, as believers, we know where he is. He is reigning and he is in charge. He is in absolute control. The future is in his hand and therefore we can be confident about the one whom we have trusted. And these are not just empty, hollow words for something for me to say on a Sunday. There's evidence of this all around us. And this morning as you sit online and long to be back in the public worship of your church or this morning as you sit in a socially distanced fellowship somewhere, there is the evidence. From Cork to cool rain on this land and all across the world there are fellowships that bear the name of Christ brought into existence by the word of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit brought into existence as the Spirit works and converts sinners to Jesus. Today your fellowship may not look like very much. Today it's a place that perhaps you struggle to go to. Today your fellowship might be a place of of hurt for you. 
A place where you will say, oh, I don't get much out of it. A place where you say, I don't really like the music. A place where you say, there's nothing for my children. A place where you say, if only we could be like other churches. My friends, may we not take the church for granted. May we forgive the church all her faults and failures. May we grow in our love for the church because wherever the gospel and the word of God is preached faithfully, wherever the sacraments are administered correctly and wherever discipline is exercised, then there is the church of Jesus Christ brought into life by the word and by the spirit. And the church of Jesus Christ is many things, but she is never a disappointment. The church of Jesus Christ has been derided and mocked and scorned, but she is extraordinary. She is Christ's letter to this fallen world. And it is a letter that cries, you must be born again. Paul does not need to be commended again to the Corinthians. He writes to them and reminds them, you are my letter. You, precious Corinth, are my letter of recommendation written on my heart. And we are an extraordinary body. See, as this chapter continues, Paul takes the Corinthians back to Moses. And he speaks of Moses' ministry in verse 7 as a ministry of death. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Paul speaks here of, of Moses not in derogatory terms. He's not running Moses down. But Moses ministered to a church under age, as the Westminster Confession puts it. And he ministered in type and in shadow. The fulfillment had not yet come. Christ had not yet come. And yet, even then, the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory of God shining all around him as he came back down the mountain. We read that in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 34 and verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, he was coming down the mountain, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Paul writes of Moses' ministry as the ministry of death, but it was a ministry that had glory attached to it. It was a ministry where in types and shadows the people were being pointed forward to Jesus. It was a ministry where there were prophets and priests and kings and people were being pointed forward to Jesus. But it was a ministry that was only ever going to be temporary. It was a ministry of death carved in letters of stone. Here Paul speaks of the law given at Mount Sinai, republished at Mount Sinai. And as we know in Galatians 3 and verse 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. See, make no mistake, Moses at Sinai was not introducing an alternative path of salvation. Moses was not coming with a way to be saved by your obedience. If anyone has ever been saved, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Instead, Moses was ministering to the people of God as a church under age, and they were waiting and longing and looking to the coming of the Saviour Jesus. There was glory in that ministry, but it was fading away. And so says Paul in verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. And indeed, the apostle writes in verse 10, In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory of all, at all because of the glory that surpasses it. What Paul speaks of here is the fact that again, we are a covenant of grace church, the new covenant church. Jesus has come in the flesh and he has laid down his life for sinners like us. We know him now. We know his name. We see the story of redemption unfolding. We have been given the sacraments, the means of grace to grow us up. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is here. The glory of the old has been far surpassed so much so that there is no glory at all in the ministry of death. For if what was being brought to an end, verse 11, came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul's ministry among these men and women required no recommendation to them in the form of a letter. They were the recommendation. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Paul exercised amongst these people. It was the ministry of the gospel preached in the Spirit working. It was not a ministry where Paul brought the commandments down the mountain. It was not a ministry of keeping the law which would always condemn and lead on to death. It was a ministry filled with glory and centered around Christ. And he doesn't run down Moses. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law completely. He was the saviour that the church of Jesus Christ from Genesis through to the birth of Jesus had been waiting on. He is the saviour who we still look back to to this day and long for his return. Jesus came and he was the greater Moses. His own face shone at the transfiguration. He was the ultimate prophet, priest and king. And it was Christ's blood, not the blood of animals like goats and bulls and calves. But it was Christ's blood that was shed abroad for the sins of his people. And he paid fully the price for our sins. And the gospel to this day is preached to the ends of this earth. And wherever it is preached, the spirit moves and adds to the number day by day those who are being saved. Glory. A ministry of glory. You see, Moses ministered behind a veil. Moses looked forward to the day of fulfillment, but it did not come in his day. We are blessed, this hour, because we are men and women who live in these days. And Christ has come. And every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus. See, Paul says here that the glory that Jesus has brought is a permanent glory. The temporary came with glory but has passed away, but the fulfillment now has come. The permanent now has come. And because this is true, then you and I as men and women of faith can look forward to and long for the day when more glory comes. 
Paul writes in Romans 8 and verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. My friends, one day our faith will become sight. One day we will be residents, permanent residents of our eternal home, a home promised by and prepared by Jesus, the glorious Christ. One day we will see Jesus. One day we will have been given new bodies reunited with our souls at the last day on the day of resurrection and we will walk with Christ forevermore. We will be made like him. And just as the new covenant far outstripped the old, so the Christian's future far outstrips our present. My friends, I know these are days of worry. I know we are fed up and tired of COVID. I know we are entering in now almost into October and it is with trepidation about if things perhaps will get worse. I know those things to be true. But today I pray that we will take a look around us and remember once again that we gaze upon the temporary. And just as the temporary ministry of condemnation under Moses has passed away, then so too all of this will pass away. And when it does, we will be with Jesus. We long for those days. But they are not yet. But even though they are not yet, we are not undone. Paul says in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. The Israelites looked at Moses, who was veiled. And to this very day, says Paul, in his time, and to this very day, in our time, when Moses is read, there is a veil over the hearts of the unbelieving Jew. But, because we have trusted Christ, because we know that he is the fulfillment and the fullness, we are very bold, because we know that that veil can be lifted only because of Jesus. When one turns to the Lord, says Paul in verse 16, the veil is lifted. And Paul speaks here again of extraordinary things, extraordinary truth to an extraordinary congregation in Corinth, a fellowship that, humanly speaking, should not exist, and yet it did exist. It was there in a pagan city. And Paul says, when one turns to Jesus, the veil is removed, the eyes are opened, the blind suddenly See, and here is the power and the beauty of the local church. Once more, she may not look significant. She may often be weak and divided, but in the local church, when the gospel is preached, sinners' eyes are open, veils lifted, and sinners deserving the wrath of God are brought to saving faith. In Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing. Nothing as extraordinary as that. And Paul says. That this comes. From the Lord. 
verse 17, he writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here Paul does not get the persons of the Godhead mixed up. Paul speaks here of Jesus and the Spirit being of the same essence, the same being. Charles Hodge says that Jesus here is not being described as the, with the Spirit as one and the same person, but rather one and the same being. It is the Lord Jesus who in John 10 and verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. And so here in the same way, Paul is writing that Jesus and the Spirit are also one. There is no disunity in the Godhead. The persons of the Trinity are not opposed to one another or working against one another. Instead, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Chains broken, captives go free, sins forgiven. There is freedom. The law brings death, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And friends, as we begin to gather once more, as our return to church draws ever closer, as you start to say, do you know what? I'm going to go back next week. I'm going to go back the week after that. As all of these things get moving again, may our eyes be open to realize once more the glory of the local church because the Spirit is there and he brings freedom. And what a joy it is to know that freedom. To know that the Lord does not hold our sins against us. My friends, ask yourself that today. Do you know that freedom? Do you understand the danger you're in as your sins go unforgiven? As the wrath of God abides upon you? Do you understand that you head towards a lost eternity? My friends, it is as if you are in the back of a, a prisoner van, heading slowly but surely to prison, an eternal prison where the fire will never be quenched. Would you not have your chains broken? Would you not be set free this very day? My friends, if you would, then please hear me. The gospel declares that Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel declares that Jesus died on a cross and was put in a tomb but rose again from the dead. The gospel declares that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And you need to respond to that gospel and you do so by repentance and faith. Repentance runs from sin and faith puts its trust in Christ. Where Jesus is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And today, the Spirit of the Lord calls upon you to come and to trust in Christ. Today, the Spirit of the Lord softens hard hearts and calls us to come and to trust in Christ. Today, the Spirit of the Lord slowly but surely opens eyes and calls us to come to Christ. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. But for Paul, the proof was all around him in Corinth. There was a fellowship there, set free by the blood of the Lamb. And so this chapter ends with Paul saying, We with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord.
and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, says the apostle, we are being sanctified every day. You want an extraordinary claim? You want a letter of recommendation? Then look at the work of the Spirit. Look at the result of the gospel. Look at how these men and women who, who once couldn't stand looking at one another, look how they now love one another. Look how the gospel has set them free. Look how they're growing in the faith. Look at their love for the Word and the love for the Lord and the love for this world. Look at the impact of the gospel. And admittedly, we don't always get this right. Churches aren't always places that, that look like all those things that I have just said. But the next time you take a walk into your mundane little fellowship, look around. Look around and breathe it in. And look at what the Lord is doing. Look at those men and women that once were not saved, but now they are. Look at the men and women who love you and care for you and pray for you. Look at those who labor in the work of the gospel all the time, striving to reach the lost. Look around and see Christ's letter to this lost world. A letter of forgiven sinners now being sanctified every day, made more and more to look like Christ. Look around and see what the Lord has done. With Paul, we are confident that the one that began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And how can we be so confident? Because as Paul finishes this chapter, he says, This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. None of this is fingers crossed. None of this is hoping for the best. Trusting as the clouds float by that maybe tomorrow will be a brighter day. None of it is pie in the sky or airy fairy. All of it comes from Jesus. And today, we are confident because Jesus never fails.